begin by going to John 1, verse 18, reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says this, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. Today I'm going to continue my response to the Rob and Caleb show from Torah Resource Radio. I've backed off of it for over a month now, but there are a few things left to cover, one of which I want to get into today. And then there's one more main sermon I think that I'll teach to respond to them, and and then I'll have responded fully at least to what they said in relation to me and material that I had written. Let me stay here at the beginning of this lesson, something I think I've stated before in these lessons. The reason that I do response sermons like this is to help equip people to know how to answer objections. That's why I do this. I don't do this for me. I've gotten to where it doesn't really bother me much anymore when I hear people make um, degrading statements about how you believe. That doesn't really bother me anymore. But I think about what Yeshua told Peter before he went to heaven. He said, feed my sheep. And that's what I'm here for. Um, I'm up here teaching for you people because I love you. I love this congregation. I love the people on the phone. I love people that listen to the sermons by way of the Internet. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you and teach you the Bible. I get joy out of that. When I go to sleep at night, my main prayer is for a good understanding for all the people in the congregation, a good understanding of the Scriptures. That's my main prayer, my main goal. So I want to feed the sheep and equip you to be able to answer things doctrinally. And it's very important, very important. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, I can't remember the verse, but it's either in 1st or 2nd Timothy. You could probably get your phone out and find it real quick. Paul said to Timothy, he said, you take heed to your teaching or your doctrine. And he said, in doing so, you will save yourself and those that hear you. That's what my goal is, to save myself and those that hear me. I take it very serious. There are people that have told me, and they'll tell you, and they'll probably continue to say, that if you believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, that's not enough. And I'm here to tell you today, by the authority of Yahweh's Word, that it is. It's enough to believe about Him for salvation, that He is the Messiah, and that He is the Son of Yahweh. That's enough. I like how Brother John puts it in 1 John 4.15. He says, Whoever confesses that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh, Yahweh remains in him, and he in Yahweh. Very simple. There's verses like this that are over and over and over in the Bible. and They're not hard to understand. As you guys know, I tried to get on the Rob and Caleb show to discuss or to dialogue on both this subject that I've been talking about and on the Lunar Sabbath. 
and they refuse to accept me for either, and that's their prerogative. But I'm thankful that I have the liberty to respond on my own at least. And that way when people come and ask me, I can ask them to not just listen to the accusations, but also listen to the responses that I have made. It's really become a beautiful thing because every week I have anywhere from one to maybe 20 people email me and say, Brother Matthew, can I ask you a question? And then the question comes. And now it's gotten a lot easier because a lot of times to answer somebody's question, I can refer them to a sermon where I have taught on that particular subject. So you can give them a little bit in the email and then say, listen to this where it goes into a lot more detail. And people are very grateful and thankful for that. And I'm thankful that Yahweh has used me in that little way to be able to do it. So I want to get into the lesson today. Our focus is going to be on John 1.18, which I read at the beginning from the Holman Bible. And I think most people are familiar with a phrase that exists in the King James Version of John 1.18. And that phrase is this, the only begotten Son. I think everybody's familiar with that phrase, not because of John 1.18, but probably because of John 3.16. That's one of the ones that at least you used to when I was growing up. You saw a lot in the back of the end zone at the football game. Somebody's holding up a sign that says John 3.16. I never saw anybody holding up a John 1.18 sign. But John 1.18 says, Only begotten Son in the King James Version, just like in John 3.16. But there's a problem here, a quote-unquote problem, and that's this. There exists something known as a textual variant in John 1.18. Now, a textual variant is when you have Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that differ with one another in reading. Most variants in the New Testament are inconsequential. Most of them don't make a difference. But there are a few of them that are meaningful and viable. To put it simply, the Bible that we pick up and read in English wasn't written in English. It was written, at least the New Testament, a lot of it in Koine Greek, the common language of the known world at that time. There's thousands and thousands of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. And sometimes they don't agree with each other on how a verse should read. Sometimes, probably 1% of the time, it's very important. And I think this is one of those times where it's at least meaningful and possibly viable. We'll get more into that here as we go. So this, a textual variant, is why John 1.18 does not read the same in all of the English versions of our Bibles. Let me show you this from two literal English Bible versions. The first one is the King James. It says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That's how John 1.18 reads KJV. Notice now, if you catch the difference in the New American Standard Bible, another literal translation, but it reads quite different in John 1.18. It says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Now, that's different. And if you have two people in the church, one of them has a New American Standard Bible, one of them has a King James Bible, and the preacher's preaching from John 1.18 out of the New International Version, you may have some confusion. And so that's why it's important that we look at these things and we understand why they exist and how we answer them and know the truth about these things. 
So the King James Version reads, Only begotten Son. The New American Standard Bible, which is a great translation of the Bible, reads, Only begotten God. Other versions take more liberty because they're not literal, and I believe a lot of the liberty of the new versions is unwarranted. I'm not a King James only guy. I'm not against the King James. My wife prefers the King James. I think it's a great translation. I'm just not King James only. I like other translations of the Bible. But that being said, don't be fooled that every Bible version that you can get your hands on is good. There are some that are very haphazardly done and periphrastic, meaning that there's one man behind the translation and he's really changed things up a bit. King James Version, New American Standard Bible, HCSB, these are done by committees. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but it's a group of men. They're talking, they're reasoning, they're figuring what verse should say this, how should this read, how should that read. Let's look at this as a group. It's a lot better that way. There's probably five or six good Bibles out there today. But which one of these is correct? Well, before I answer that question, I want to play one clip from the Robin Caleb Show. And in this clip, John 1.18 comes up in the midst of the discussion about me on John 1.1 and John 1.14. Listen carefully. And then uh, he goes down in verse 18 where he closes off the prologue and he says, the only begotten God was full of grace and truth. Now, I know that your King James Version says the only begotten Son or Lord, but uh, I think it says Son actually, doesn't it, in the majority text. But uh, the, the the better texts take the word God there and have the word God there, which is the more difficult reading. Now, let's take uh, Jansen and his uh, colleague there at their word. They're going to constantly be talking about which texts are best. We already did that in Ephesians 3.19. They don't want to take the later texts. They want to take the early texts, as as we would also. Why don't they do the same thing in 1.18? In 1.18, it says, the only begotten God, he has made him known. Okay, explain that though. Why would we take that? Why would we take only begotten God? Because the better texts have that, and the later texts have Lord. In other words, in textual criticism, one of the things that we recognize is that scribes have a tendency to try to make a, a difficult text more understandable. How do you have an only begotten God? I mean, that sounds blasphemous to some ears of scribes. So, why did John Cordero and I cite John 1.18 as only begotten Son in our book? Why do we not cite it as only begotten God? Well, I don't want to totally speak for John Cordero here, but I personally had looked at John 1.18 when we were writing the book, and I didn't find the textual variant to be that big of a deal because of the study I had done in regards to the words Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, and theos, the Greek word for God. And what I mean is this. Through my studies, I could see where either reading, only begotten Son, or only begotten God, could be valid. To call Yeshua theos, the Greek word for God, does not automatically mean that He is the one supreme God, theos or Elohim, in the Old Testament. I dealt extensively with this in part three of this current series. More on this later. Now, I think that John and I probably should have addressed the textual variant in our book. We did not. And I actually did address the variation in a debate chart that I made back in early 2005 when I debated a Bible teacher from the Church of Christ 
on the subject of whether or not Jesus is God Almighty. In that debate chart, I acknowledged the reading, Only Begotten God, and stated that I agreed with that reading. However, as time progressed, I saw arguments that were made by scholars and laymen alike that took both sides of the issue. There are good arguments for only begotten Son. There's good arguments for only begotten God in John 1.18. Here's some of the arguments. For example, one of the arguments presented by the proponents that like the reading only begotten Son is the comparative writings in the Gospel of John. What I mean by that is this. In John 3.16, John 3.18, and 1 John 4 and 9, all written by Brother John, they all read only begotten Son. Greek, monogenes, huios, only begotten Son. Proponents of this reading point out that it makes more sense for John 1.18 to agree with these three undisputed writings in John. In other words, these three I have on the screen, 3.16, 3.18, and 1 John 4.9, there's no textual variant at these verses. They all say, all of the manuscripts, only begotten Son. The variation is only in John 1.18. So a lot of scholars say, well, John 1.18 should agree with the four other times or the three other times that John uses this phrase. So 1.18 should say only begotten Son. I think that's a good point. I would not say that that's conclusive. I think that's an interesting point. It's a good point. Proponents of only begotten Son also point out that the majority of the New Testament manuscripts read monogenes huios, only begotten Son, not only begotten God. Now, when I say the majority, I'm speaking in equivalency of, let's say, like 1 to 100. In other words, it's like you would have one old manuscript that was the oldest that read only begotten God and a hundred other manuscripts that are also old, but not quite as old as that one. And they read Only Begotten Son. Well, these majority manuscripts date back to as far as around 450 A.D. and then later, and they outweigh the early manuscripts that read Only Begotten God. So the Only Begotten Son proponents say they have early attestation. There's early manuscripts that say Only Begotten Son, but they're just not quite as old as the ones that read Only Begotten God. That's another good point. I would say. Of course, the scholars that believe only begotten God is the correct reading in John 1.18 say that they have the earliest manuscript evidence on their side, and they are correct. The earliest text of John's gospel read only begotten God, monogenes theos, at John 1.18. They are few, but they are definitely the oldest. And I think that that's an excellent point for the only begotten God reading because I am a proponent myself of the earliest texts being the better texts. There's a simple reason why. It seems to make very much sense to me to go with the earliest reading possible when you look at the Greek New Testament manuscripts. Which is it? How do I believe that the text should read? I'm not completely certain on how I believe the text should read. I can see that it could go either way. Only begotten Son is certainly not a foreign phrase in John's writings, so that's pretty much a given. I don't think any scholar would have a problem with the phrase only begotten Son applying to Christ. But what about only begotten God? Is that legitimate in John 1.18? I believe that the answer is yes. 
I believe it's legitimate because I cannot argue with the earliest manuscripts of John 1.18. I would think that I would be foolish to do that. Matter of fact, I think I would be very hypocritical to do that because I'm always telling people when they read versions like the KJV or the NKJV that do not base their version on the oldest manuscripts, I'll always tell them, well, do you know that the earlier manuscripts in the New Testament read this way? And you pick up a New American Standard Bible or HCSB and it reads different than your KJV. And there's a reason. There's a reason because one is basing it on more early manuscripts. And so it would be hypocritical for me to preach, I think it was part one or two in this series, on Ephesians 3.9 where it says, God who created all things, period, in the earliest manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. It would be hypocritical for me to point that out and then kind of just shove John 1.18 under the rug. When the earliest manuscripts of John 1.18 read, only begotten God. So when I concede that point to Tim Hegg, based upon those early manuscripts, how do I respond to Tim Hegg, the man that just spoke, who thinks that that reading destroys my position? You, you heard him there. He believes that that one verse just makes the whole castle of cards crumble down. And why don't they take the early reading of only begotten God? Well, I wish he'd have called me or emailed me and asked me what I thought about it. I do believe that that is quite the probable reading, only begotten God. I wouldn't say that I'm 100% for sure, but after studying about this more and more, I think that's probably the most probable reading. I respond to this by recognizing that theos, the Greek word for God, has a wide semantic range. Theos doesn't just mean Yahweh. Theos can have meanings other than Yahweh. And I would refer anyone to part three of this series of lessons where I discuss the terms like Elohim and Theos, commonly translated as God in our English Bibles. For instance, when you study the totality of Scripture, angels are Elohim, Theos. The judges of Israel are Elohim, Theos. Moses is Elohim, Theos. And Yeshua is most certainly Elohim, Theos. Now, if we ignore the biblical evidence of the existence of legitimate gods other than Yahweh, then I can see how Tim Hegg thinks John 1.18 is in his favor. But if we examine and receive all of the biblical data, we should be able to see that Yeshua can be called the only begotten Theos, or the only begotten God, and not be the one God of Israel. Let me say this briefly. If you remember back to part 3, because some people think, man, Brother Matthew says there's, there's other gods. And yes, that is exactly what I just said. And I do believe that. And you automatically, if you're a Bible student, you think to passages like in Isaiah and Jeremiah where Yahweh says, I am God alone, there's no one else beside me. And those passages are true. But remember, in every one of those passages, I dealt with this extensively in part three, in every one of those passages, Yahweh is always comparing himself with the foreign gods of other nations. He's not talking about his angels, his good angels. He's not talking about his good judges. He's not talking about men like Moses. When we look at the rest of the Bible, we see that there are other legitimate theos. There are other legitimate gods under Yahweh's power and authority that he uses. They're mighty ones. That's what the term 
Theos means. I don't like the translation God. I use it because I don't want to make it more complicated, the sermon, than it needs to be. But it's better to translate Theos and Elohim as mighty one because the Hebrew word and the Greek word has to do with strength, power, like a rock. And so there are mighty ones, legitimate, good mighty ones, other than Yahweh, under His power and authority. That's the biblical position. That's not the everyday position in Christianity. That's not what you'll hear most of the time from a pastor or a preacher, but that is the biblical position. Yahweh is the one supreme mighty one, and there exist other legitimate mighty ones under Yahweh. Let's notice a few important points about John 1.18 as we look at it more carefully. First, it comes off the heels of John 1.1 where we've already seen a difference between John 1.1b, the word was with God, that's tantheon in Greek, noun, and John 1.1c where it says the word was God, that's not tantheon, that's theos, which can legitimately be translated a God or divine. The Word was with God, that's the Father, and the Word was theos, meaning the Word was divine or a God. That's the best way, those two ways are the best ways to translate John 1.1c. I refer you to part four of this series for more info if you forget about that. Secondarily, when we get to John 1.18, we find a very bold statement that's made that most of the time goes overlooked, and I think this will be eye-opening. It was for me. I don't think I really centered in on this enough. Very eye-opening for me. I think people focus so much on the only begotten Son or only begotten God debate that they forget the first part of the verse, which says this, No one has seen God at any time. Now, who is that a reference to? That's a reference to Yahweh. The God, supreme being. No one has seen God at any time. John plainly tells us here that no one has seen God at any time. No one has ever seen Yahweh. That seems pretty straightforward. I do believe there's one exception. And the only reason I believe there's an exception is because when you keep reading in John's Gospel, there exists an exception. And that's found in John 6, 46 where we read HCSB. This is the Messiah speaking. He says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Now, when I read that, or when you read that, who do you suppose that the Messiah is talking about here when he says, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I think he's talking about himself. That's who I think he's referring to. So the no man has seen God at any time in John 1.18 excludes Yeshua based on John 6.46. Here's another example of exclusion in the Bible. Romans 3.23, it says, All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. I had one person call me up one time and said, That means Yeshua sinned because he's a man. And Romans 3.23 says, All men have sinned. Well, there's a problem with that, and that's because you must define the word all in context. And if you keep reading in Romans 3, it says that the all men that have sinned have to believe in this Messiah. He's excluded from that group of all men. So it's the same thing here in John 1.18. There's only one exception, and that's the one who is from God. That should carry you right back to John 1.1, that word that became flesh, the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. So minus Yeshua, the closest to any man 
far as I can find in Scripture, the closest that any man got to seeing Yahweh is Prophet Moses. That's, that's from what I can find. Exodus 33, 18 through 23. Let's read it. Then Moses said, Please, let me see your glory. He said, He is Yahweh. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he answered, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Yahweh said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Now I think that's easy to understand. I think men try to make it more complicated a lot of times, but I think that's very easy to understand. Yahweh tells Moses, nobody can see my face. Because if you do, you'll die. So he places him in a rock crevice and he shows Moses his back but not his face. Now, does anybody remember what this did to Moses? Caused his face to shine. He saw the back of Yahweh. Not his face. Yahweh put his hand over him. Whatever that means. I don't know how to take it, but just what it says. He put his hand over him. He removed his hand. Moses saw his back but not his face. Just seeing the back of Yahweh made Moses' face shine so brightly that when he got down to speak to the children of Israel, he had to put a veil over top of his face to talk to them because it shone so brightly. That ought to tell you, seeing the back of Yahweh is a very magnanimous, very powerful, potent thing. If he, saw, if he would have saw Yahweh's face, there would be no more Moses, according to what Yahweh says in verse 20 right there. So this is the closest man, minus Yeshua, John 6, 46, except the one who is from God. This is the closest man that has come to seeing God. Remember, John 1, 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, I'm going to ask a simple question. Some people think it's too simple. Um, I think the truth a lot of times is very simple. This is the question. Has anyone ever seen Yeshua the Messiah? The answer is yes. Many men saw the Messiah, not just his back, but they saw his face. Brothers and sisters, I believe that one simple point right there proves that Yeshua cannot be the God of John 1.18a. No one has seen God at any time. Now, if John 1.18b goes on to say the only begotten God who is in the bosom or at the side of the Father, because remember, when John wrote this, Yeshua had already went to heaven when John's writing this. So this phrase can be who is in the bosom or it can be who is at the side, who's close to the Father. And so where is Yeshua when John writes this? He's at the Father's side. He's close to the Father in the bosom would be a way to explain that metaphorically, I guess we could say. If it describes him then as only begotten God, it would mean that Yeshua is another mighty one. 
other than the one God that no one has seen at any time. Remember, not another mighty one in the sense of another supreme being. No. Not in the sense of a second Yahweh. That's not what I'm saying. Not like that. But a legitimate God, a legitimate Elohim or mighty one next to God Almighty. We might say the only begotten God. That's what John 1.18, earliest manuscript of the New Testament, calls the Messiah. And that brings me to my next point, and that's the phrase, only begotten, here in John 1.18, to describe Yeshua. Is Yahweh ever described in Scripture as being begotten? No. Yahweh is not begotten. Begotten, the Greek word genes and genomai, has to do with you have been produced. You have been generated. Yahweh doesn't need to be produced. Yahweh doesn't need to be generated. He is the producer. He is the generator. He makes it happen. You shut the generator off, everything else shuts off. Yahweh lives because of himself. Yeshua says, and somewhere in the Gospel of John, I was reading it today, I can't remember, but you can type it in, search engine on your phone there. Yeshua says, I live because of the Father. But Yahweh lives because of Himself. He is life. And He's given an enormous amount of it to Yeshua and authority. But Yeshua is not the generator. He's the only begotten Theos. Now, I just taught a lesson last Sabbath where the Greek term monogenes, there it is in Greek, described the only son of a widow woman in Luke 7. Anybody remember that? We talked about that widow woman. She had an only son. It called that son. And in Greek, that was monogenes. That son was called that because that son had to be, was an offspring, was produced. See, Is it then appropriate to apply the term monogenes, only begotten, to Yahweh, to God Almighty? I don't think that it is. I don't think you can make that argument from Scripture. Yahweh isn't a child. Yahweh is not produced. Yahweh is the producer. He is the ultimate producer. So here's what we have. We have no man have seen God at any time, but then we have many men saw Yeshua, not just His back, but they saw His face. Yeshua is called God in John 1.18b, the only begotten God. But Yeshua can't be the God in John 1, 18a because no man has seen that God at any time. That's the Father. The God of John 1, 18a is not monogenes. He's not only begotten. But the God of John 1, 18b is only begotten. There's only one like Him. Brother TJ talked about that. I preached on that not long ago. What John 1, 18 is teaching in totality is this. No one has ever seen God, the supreme being, no one's ever seen Him. Moses got close. No one has ever seen God, the supreme being, but the only begotten God, Yeshua, Yahweh's Son, He has explained Yahweh for us. That's what John 1.18 is telling us. You can't see the supreme God, but the monogenes God, the monogenes mighty one, Yeshua, He explains the supreme God for us. Now, why is this? Well, that word explained there at the end, that comes from the Greek word exegesis. Y'all have heard me use this. It's explaining the 
meaning, extracting the meaning out of a text of Scripture. Instead of putting one in there, you read what it says and you extract it out of the text. Yeshua exegetes Yahweh for us. We can't see Yahweh, but when we look at Yeshua, we are, in a sense, looking at Yahweh. We are. In a strong sense. Not in the sense that He is Yahweh, because Yahweh can't be seen. See, John 1.18a. Rather, it's in the sense that Yahweh conceived Yeshua directly by His Spirit. Yahweh placed the fullness of His Spirit inside of Yeshua. And then Yahweh commissioned Him to do His work upon the earth. So when you look at Yeshua, you see Yahweh. He explains Yahweh for you. Why? Because He always does what pleases Yahweh. When you listen to Yeshua speak, do you know who you hear speak? Well, you hear Yeshua speak. But you hear Yahweh speak. Do you know why? Because He never says anything contrary to what Yahweh would say. The same word that Yahweh wrote down in His law, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That word became a man. When you watch Yeshua's life, it's just like you're looking at the law of Yahweh. So therefore, when you can see Him, and that's why He says in John 14, 9, He says, Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't understand? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Then He goes on. Most people don't quote the next verse. He says, The Father that is in me, He doeth the work. It's beautiful. John 5 verse 30 says, this is Yeshua, He says, I can do nothing on my own. <laughs> I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. You have two persons there, two beings there, but they're in harmony. They're in harmony. And that's what John 10.30 means. When He says, For I and my Father are one, it's not saying they're one person. It's not saying they're one in essence, like Greek philosophy tried to say after the New Testament was written. It's saying they're one in purpose and one in harmony. And a little bit later on, just seven chapters later in the Gospel of John, in John 17, Yeshua praying to His Father about His disciples. He said, Father, I pray that You make these one as we are one. That's beautiful, isn't it? One in purpose. One in harmony. He doesn't seek His own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's why when you look at Him, you're looking at Yahweh. John 8, 28. So Yeshua said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. He never speaks contrary to His Dad. He never does. I like to use human analogies. They're not perfect, but I like to use human analogies, and I can't help but bring this one up because I keep looking at Rocket and Rocky when I preach this sermon here. And let me tell you something. When you see Rocky, you see the father. He's got Rocket's DNA. His mannerisms are like Rocket. He speaks like Rocket. I've been around him enough. He looks like his dad. I look at his features and his face. You can tell he's the son of Rocket. He's begotten by Rocket Smith. Anybody want to debate that tonight? When you look at him? 
Well, if you had dinner with Yeshua, and, and Rocky, you sat there with the Messiah, it'd be a great dinner. And he said, what do you do for a living, Rocky? And you said, well, I work for the DLT. I got to go work tonight, matter of fact. And you look at him and you say, uh, well, what do you do? He says, well, I, I speak the words of my father. And you say, well, what's your father do? And he said, well, he created the heavens and the earth. He could say that because he was begotten by Yahweh. I tell people often, they say, you look just like your daddy more and more every day. And I always tell them this to make a joke, but I'm trying to get them to think. I'm being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. I always tell them, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at me. And Matthew's always wanting to put something biblical in there. I can't help it, Brother Jerry. That's my life, you know. It's all about the Scriptures. So John 1.18 calls Yeshua the only begotten God. I think it does. I think it's quite probable based upon the earliest Greek New Testament text available. When I first started putting this sermon together, I wasn't going to take that position. <laughs> Matter of fact, I thought that the only begotten son reading was the better reading. I think I even may have, may have talked to Brother TJ about this a little bit. But that's why we study the Bible. And we don't go in there with a preconceived idea. We go in there, hopefully, we try to go in there and say, it doesn't matter what it says, we want to accept what it says originally. And I believe that the better reading is only begotten God. I've explained how I take that tonight. Does this mean that Yeshua is God Almighty? No, it, it doesn't. And anyone who says John 1.18 proves that Yeshua is Yahweh, I just don't believe they've examined all of the biblical evidence concerning the word Elohim or the word Theos, and they've not considered all of what John 1.18 says. And you know what happens? When people aren't willing to examine the evidence or have open dialogue and they just brush you off like Rob and Caleb and Tim have done to me, you end up with statements like this. Listen to this. Let me get a couple of things straight right now. Okay? Matthew Jansen does not believe in the same God we do. Okay? Matthew Jansen believes that, that the Messiah Yeshua is just a man. That's what he believes. He believes he's a man. I don't. I believe he's yod heh We believe in a different God. Now, do I believe that Yeshua is just a man? You know, that's, that's dishonest. I've tried to tell him that I don't, but he won't listen. That's bearing false witness. That's a sin. And Caleb, I hope one day if you hear this that you repent of bearing false witness against me. And I speak that in love, not in hate. Do I believe that Yeshua is a man? Absolutely. Because Scripture calls him a man in numerous places. Let me give you three of them. There's many more. Romans 5.15, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, and in John 8.40, he calls himself a man. He says, I'm a man that hath told you the truth. Romans 5.15, 1 Timothy 2.5, John 8.40. I'll use the Greek word anthropos, translated as man, about the Messiah. Do I believe that Yeshua is yod Hey wal Hey? I do not. I don't. But with Caleb and Rob, 
they think that's the only options. You either believe he's Yahweh or you believe he's just a man. If someone ever asks me that question, and I get asked it a good bit, but if someone ever asks me that question, I don't answer it. I don't answer it because I explain to them that the question is not a valid question because it leaves out the proper answer. If I show Brother Tim this guitar pick, everybody can see this. It's like a peach color, peach pink. We'll say pink. And I look at Brother Tim and I say, what color is this pick, black or white? That's not a valid question. He looks at this pick and he knows it's not black and it's not white. He says, Brother Matthew, what do you mean? We're both looking at it. You know the color that it is. You cannot ask the question, who is Yeshua, just a man or Yahweh? Because you leave out the proper answer. If you want to know what the proper answer is, brothers and sisters, all you have to do is open up your Bible to Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Because our Master Himself looked at His disciple, Peter, right in the eyes, and He said, Whom do you say that I am? And let me tell you something. This answer that Peter gives... First of all, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you answer that same question about the Messiah, Yeshua, like Peter did, you can't go wrong. And this is why. Because after Peter gave that answer, Yeshua looked at him and he said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, Peter. Now, Yeshua standing right in front of him, isn't he? He's flesh and blood. He's a man. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, Peter. But my Father, who is where? In front of you? No. Who is in heaven has revealed this to you. The Father showed Peter Yeshua was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the correct answer. So I pick up this pick and I say, Brother Tim, is this pick black, white, or pink? That's a good question. That's a proper multiple choice. Let me tell you, I'd have got mighty upset in high school if they'd have gave me a multiple choice question and none of the three was the right answer. Right. And I had to pick one of them and I was going to flunk it no matter which one I picked. No, you put the right answer out there and you speak it like Peter. So my hope is that people will not just listen to Rob, Caleb, and Tim. And my hope is that people will not just listen to me. I'm no more of an authority than they are. My hope is that people will open up their Bible. This is what I pray for everybody in here every day. That people will open their Bible up and spend some time, a lot of time, because it takes a lot of time. They will spend some time studying the Scriptures, not just this subject. I'm teaching about this subject in response to this. Going through Luke 7, son. I've been going through Exodus 16, son. We teach the whole counsel of Yahweh, brother. TJ's teaching James. But on any subject, spend diligent time studying the Bible. And when you study it, don't go in there already thinking, well, it's got to be this way. No. I just got surprised, for lack of a better word, on this text. John 1.18, I thought, well, surely it seems on the surface only begotten sons the better reading. 
I don't believe it is, though. Why? Why do I not believe that? It's because I've taken the time to study. Now, let me tell you this. I could still be wrong. That's where you guys come into play. You've got to do the study, too. You've got to do the study. Brother Matthew's just a mouthpiece. So listen, brothers and sisters, a way, that, a way, a way, not the only way, but a way that we can honor Yahweh is spend time diligently studying His Word. He's given it to us. We have more access to it nowadays than we've ever had before in the history of Adam kind. It's so easy with technology to study the Bible now. Spend time doing it. We spend time doing all kind of other things. Let's spend time studying our Father's Word. His love letter to us. Study to find out the truth. Dear Yahweh, I love you. I thank you. Please forgive me if there's anything that i said that's been wrong. Yahweh Father, and I pray that you would help me to see the truth on this and all other subjects. Father Yahweh, and uh, let us continue to look at these verses, meditate, concentrate, uh, let them become part of us, reading them over and over and over, getting deeper and deeper understandings to them. Yahweh, Father, I love you so much. I love your son. I listen to him. I take delight in him. He is my elder brother. He's my kinsman redeemer. And I'm so thankful that you sent him to be the Savior of me and of all those that put their trust and their faith in him. So, Yahweh, Father, I love you so much. It's through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah, that I pray. Amen.